Welcome to the Get Out of Teaching podcast presented by Larksong Enterprises. I'm your host, Elizabeth Diakos. On the show, we'll look at the who, what, why, where, when and how of moving out of your education career and into a life you love. We'll meet ex-teachers, delve into what we love about teaching and how to translate that into something new. We'll talk to people who can support and inspire us as we make the transition and work on identifying the legacy we want to leave in the world. So come along for the ride as we get out of teaching. Episode 13. Hi everyone and welcome to the show. On today's episode, I'm interviewing my ex-colleague and ex-teacher, Kim Swan. Welcome to the show, Kim. Hello. How are you, Elizabeth? Great to see you. Good okay, Kim, so you're an ex-teacher and in fact, we, we, we did work together, but before we met, you were already a teacher. Uh, what got you into teaching in the first place? Um, I think we'd have to say originally I had a passion for people and a passion for learning and um, I still do, but my choice to go into teaching was driven by a uh, hope that I could somehow contribute to young people's experience of education and improving themselves. Mm, yeah. Great. I remember, remember my, you know, classic uh, icons back at, when I was at school and, um, and the influence they had on me. And I just, yeah, wanted to somehow be part of giving young people a positive experience in education. Mm. And so where, where were you teaching? What was the context and what year level? Um, I started teaching in 1988 at uh, school. Uh, it, so I was in primary for um, the majority of my teaching career. Uh, and I, my first job was a music drama specialist for 800 children. And um, that was the beginning of a wonderful journey. And over the years, over, you know, well, more than 25 years of being in the system, um, I inhabited many roles. So, you know, uh, coordinating teams and teaching in mainstream general mm. uh, teaching roles and specialist roles, yet mainly performing arts and visual arts in the end. Right, and so that's where we met uh, when we started working together. You were a performing arts teacher, and then eventually mm -hmm. we also we started to share the performing and visual arts. Yeah, and actually, I'm just going to throw in a little plug for Zoe, your daughter, who created the music for the intro and outro for the for all these episodes. So she's the she created the get out of teaching jingle. So good um, on you, Zoe. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> Zoe. Um, and so if you want to find out more about Zoe, she, she's in a band called Zoe Fox and the Rocket Clocks. So feel free to check her out. But anyway, that was enough of a plug for Zoe. <laughs> so if, if, because I talk to a lot of people about this process of getting unstuck um, and, and what I encounter there is a lot of fear. Yep. So what would you say to that? How, how do you... Um, manage that fearful state and and still move forward um i'm reminded of something that i learned when doing a drama major at uni um so our lecturer talked about inner outer projection and outer inner projection and um 
So for example, if we needed to play the role of an old woman, we could think about being an old woman and let the acting come from that. Resonance. Sorry, or we could put on a musty. Sorry. sorry. Okay. So that's right. That, last bit. that inner outer um, projection would be trying to conjure the role, the identity from the inside out. So thinking about what it would be like to be an old woman and letting the acting come from that place versus putting on uh, a a musty smelling jacket. This is going to be very stereotypical. I apologise. So no offence intended. Um, uh, I've got enough greys to be allowed to say this. I'm an old woman. Um, <laughs> no, but grab hold of a walking cane, um, put on a grey wig, a, a, a hat that an old lady might wear and see how easy it is for the role to come once you actually look the part. So I guess to relate that to your question, my, my encouragement would be to, you know, take small steps daily to do things and actually get your body moving in new ways. Um, there's so much online that you can access um, research and meditation techniques and things as well. But uh, find ways to do something. So to stay stagnant, mm. it's not going to shift anything, but to take that little risk and maybe even if it's make one phone call or go and organise to get your CV updated or just those small practical steps that actually get you moving, right. then the momentum can pick up and before you know it, you've travelled quite a way. So, so you're, sort of, you're, you're talking about embodying or embracing actively embracing the change that you need to make so that you, when you begin doing that, then the fear subsides because you're, you're mm. taking action. You're not, you're not stuck there anymore. That's right. But also, can I just add, you know, to acknowledge that that fear is there for a really valid reason. So it's not to poo-poo the voice of fear and um, try and, eradicate it or squash it but more how can I have a relationship a healthy relationship with this fear mm. and not be consumed by it or you know uh crippled by it but actually how can I uh, how can I acknowledge that yes this fear is here to keep me safe and keep me from making a really stupid decision that might be uh harming myself and the people I love but actually, can I balance that with yeah. small steps in, in the direction that you want to head? Great. So it's not, it's not really like if you think about the fear response, you've got flight or fight or... Freeze uh, or feign death. Yeah. Yeah, or fawning too where you sort of yep. kowtow, which yep. I think probably a lot of teachers do in the workplace. Um, so, so what is... I don't know if we can come up with a word that starts with F to deal with that one, but what is it when you start to just take those small steps out? It's like mm. tentative movement in the direction that you want to go. It's not really flight, is it? No Something. way. It's not even close to flight. It's, it, I don't know if it can start with F, Elizabeth, but it's okay. like a little, um, 
but or maybe it's a foraging or something foraging Ooh, like that <laughs> foraging foraging could be the word um it's just like you you're you, you're bringing curiosity out there you're looking you're assessing but you're actually still taking steps in the take direction it, yeah, you want to go you're creeping out of that situation mm. Just slowly, yeah. Okay, yeah. we'll have to come up with a word. I like foraging, though. I think that could be the one. <laughs> okay. So, what was the tipping point that made you decide to get out of teaching? There's a story. Um, <laughs> without taking the whole podcast time allowance up answering this question, I think what it comes down to is a clash of core values. Okay. Um, I became aware that uh, the system was really becoming quite focused on measuring output and achievement in a way that made me feel like uh, quality teaching and learning was secondary to that. And the more I questioned that and challenged that, the more I found myself becoming that voice of dissonance in the staff meetings. And right. I didn't like who I was becoming um, outside of the classroom. And mm. it seemed to escalate a bit where I just felt exasperated the you know and and um, aware that what was being asked was unsustainable practice um uh, from my perspective yeah okay. and i just saw good really talented people running like maniacs all day to try and uh, mm. meet unachievable goals and just the pressure of passing that on to their students. It just felt like a, a mad frenzy. And um, mm -hmm. when I realised that I couldn't change the system from within, one day I just uh, had a bit of an epiphany and thought, hang on a minute, nobody's forcing me to be here. And the conflict for me was that I really love teaching I love working with students and so I felt that my classroom practice was still really going well and I was having, you know, uh, feedback to support that, that sense from parents, from students, from colleagues alike, even from the leadership. Yet there was no room for any conversation around how things could be different and that mm. uh, was the tipping point. So I thought, hang on a minute, if nobody's forcing me to be here and I'm becoming more and more disgruntled about things that I can't control or can't change, then I'm an idiot if I stick around and yeah. become bitter and twisted and just start then becoming toxic actually to the environment around me. So mm. I figured it was better for me and for everybody to take the leap. Yeah. And so what was your biggest fear when, when you were at that point where you were ready to take that leap? What was your fear around the transition? Only one. Uh, <laughs> I had so many fears. I thought, I actually feared that I would end up living under a bridge. That That's no joke. I just thought, oh my goodness, how will I sustain myself? I had two children in high school. Uh, we were renting at the time and I just wasn't 
wasn't sure how I was going to be able to transfer my skills outside of a system that I had known my whole working life. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I just, I, I actually surprisingly had no confidence in my own ability, even though I was showing up and working with young people in meaningful ways every day. Yeah. When it came to the point of thinking about how I could step outside of that context, I was really terrified. Yeah, I think that's a really common experience too, that people can't see the possibilities or that they can't see how their skill set can translate to somewhere else. Mm. They're worried that other people won't value what they've got. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay, so, so how did you overcome it? Um, I look, I really, uh, accessed the good people I have around me as trusted resources. So I talked to friends, I talked to other colleagues. Um, I had always been, I guess my, um, to my good fortune, I'd always been really passionate about, uh, the relationship between arts the arts and well-being, uh, you know, arts, health. And um, so I had already started a part-time um, study schedule. I started a graduate diploma in um, creative arts therapy. Mm. And, and I was a participant in that as well. So, you were. I, yeah, that was great fun. And yes, you along with a lot of other, well, a group of other staff who generously gave up their time to be part of that research um, really made a huge impact on my inspiration and passion for the, for the cause. And then I went on to do further study. So I then uh, upgraded to do a master's in therapeutic arts practice, same field. Mm. Um, and so that actually was part of my transition. I had no idea whether that would go anywhere, but I was skilling up to see if I could somehow um, work in ways that uh, explicitly married arts and and health and arts and, arts and well-being. So transitioning out, um, what ended up happening was I ended up getting some part-time like sessional teaching work at the uni where I was doing my Yeah, system. I remember that. Yeah. Okay. And so, so when, when you were doing that, you were doing the, um, the, was a master's by then? I had just completed the master's um, when, and when I uh, decided to, I took leave from my job. So I didn't make the leap straight away. I took mm. 12 months unpaid leave. And um, I thought, I'll just see what happens. So I didn't want to be a fool about it and just leap off into the void and hope, you know, to build my wings on the way down kind of thing. But um, having that 12 months leave really just meant that I had a safety net. Uh, but I knew that I really didn't want to have to go back into that system if the system was the same um, so I did sessional work and uh, really enjoyed it and then it became more regular. And I started up my um, private practice as, a, as an arts therapist, creative arts therapist as well. Right. So you were working for the university or for the tertiary institution mm -hmm. and also you had a private practice on the side. And I can see in your background there, 
you're in your studio space. Um, for those of you on the podcast, Kim has a quirky little studio space, which is uh, has pictures all over the walls in the background and also uh, a big stack of papers on one side. What What's the stack of papers you've got there? <laughs> um, okay. Welcome to my nightmare. This is my doctorate uh, in therapeutic arts practice, which I'm trying to finish. So uh, as well as working in that tertiary education institute, I'm also um, still trying to learn more about arts and health. And that's been a very interesting process. Great. Okay. So you've got all this stuff going on. You've got your private practice, you're working and you're still completing the prof doc mm-hmm. in creative art therapy. So with all this going on for you, if you just cast your mind back to when you were about to leave and what that felt yeah. like for you and that feeling of not knowing what would come next, yeah. what advice would you give from where you're standing now to someone who's feeling stuck and maybe on the the brink of making that change or mm-hmm. the precipice or however you want to describe it, or maybe they're in the mud. I'm not sure. Mm. But what advice would you give to someone who's feeling stuck? Mm. I would really encourage you to, um, if you haven't already really do some reflective practice on what your core values are mm. really matters to you. What, where are your passions um where's the energy that makes you come alive and start to put tendrils out in those directions um you know one of the things that really helped me was to reflect on the things that i really loved about the job Mm. and then reflect on the things that really weren't um, floating my boat, so to speak. <laughs> I'm trying to be really <laughs> very appropriate right now. Um, but I knew that I came to understand that autonomy. So from from an experience, <laughs> one one moment which I won't go into, but an experience in the main. It's okay. Just there. don't name names. You can tell us the story. Just don't name names. <laughs> I had a medical appointment, um, which I'd scheduled during my APT planning time. And I notified the school to let them know. And there was a big kerfuffle and uh, a bit of a power, um, bit of a power dynamic played out where I realised, my experience was that they owned me and that I didn't have any autonomy to make that decision in the service so, of my well-being and sorry, i know like sorry so hang on, just let me get clear on that so it was your planning time but it was during the school day it was you during had the like a, a free period yeah where you, where you could theoretically the doctor and yeah, come back again you theoretically is, could leave the work environment but actually not really no, not really and so that became something so i guess my advice would be look for emotional triggers. So where are those moments where you're actually being uh, emotionally triggered? Because my sense is, and the research that I'm doing supports that actually um, that's where you'll find what matters. And, you know, that's not an original idea, but it's uh, certainly 
a great way to follow the signposts to find out, okay, this is a non-negotiable. I cannot be in an environment where uh, I'm not trusted enough to have autonomy and where one person's going to uh, kind of be punitive and make me feel like I'm actually, I don't even want to say child. I mean, you treat children with respect. Um, This was really disrespectful treatment. And uh, so that was a great indicator to me, hang on a minute. I want to move towards a working environment where I am treated with respect and where I am trusted mm. to do the work. Uh, and I actually am lucky enough to say that I've actually landed in a, a fantastic work environment where, you know, there's work to be done and where tr- the, the employees are trusted to to find their way to do that work. And if you need to have a doctor's appointment or something like that in your planning time you do that yeah yeah yeah. so there's a real um you you've but you've actively sought that environment out you didn't just find it it was an active process where you went in search of it I didn't want to go from the frying pan into the fire so to speak um so that's where I think it's really important to have a bit of a reflective practice around what your values are and and what matters to you and um follow that direction yeah okay so so if someone wanted to work with you now in your private practice what does that look like do they they have to come to you so you're based in melbourne in australia do they have to come to your your rooms or is there there yeah Uh, i this morning i had a client who is in western australia who's you know which is uh, on the opposite coast to where we are and um so i use skype or zoom as a um an online vehicle to how to offer sessions the only thing is that i really encourage people to have um access to some basic art making materials at their end doesn't have to just be visual we use movement sound um yeah as you know yeah eliza i know (laughs) i know (laughs) so so basically Uh, to get in touch with you what would be the best way for someone to do that well seeing as my um website is under construction at the moment the best way to get in touch with me is through my email which is the art of becoming digit one so the art of becoming one at gmail.com. All right, cool. So I'll put that into the, the show notes for this episode. So if people are oh, interested okay. in getting in touch with you, they can find them there. Uh, and it will also be in the transcription of the episode as well. So you'll come up in a couple of ways. Oh, okay. Lovely. So, um, and what, if someone did work with you, what, what does that look like? Like what does a session look like? Or why would they want to come? Um, so people come for different reasons. Um, sometimes professionals come to me for professional supervision, which is uh, mandatory in some fields and optional in others. And that's where we use creative processes to reflect on our professional practice and um, uh, work that way. The majority of my clients uh, and the people who I work with come to me for therapeutic reasons and that can be for many you know 
how long is a piece of string. So sometimes couples will come when they're needing to navigate relational challenges. Um, children might come when they're navigating family uh, trouble or challenges. That might be due to marriage breakdown, um, family violence, uh, history of trauma. Um, and uh, yeah, I work with people across the board for many, many, many different reasons. Right. Okay. Like classic therapeutic reasons. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So Kim, before we wrap this up today, I just mm. want to, I've got a, a curly question for you to finish with. Okay. What's the legacy that you want to leave in the world? Ah, what a great question. Um, I would love to be able to be on my deathbed and look back at my life and smile because I have uh, seen people. And I, I, that sounds really... You know, um, uh, airy fairy, airy fairy claptrap. Yes, yes. We're, we're searching for here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I feel like if I could, you know, uh, use these creative processes. So I'm a big believer in creativity being the at the centre of everything that needs to happen to make this world a better place. Um, I. I hope that I can leave the world having contributed um, creatively, but more than just creatively um, from a, an authentic heartfelt connection with people. So yeah, helping people feel empowered to, to be the better version of themselves, um, to move from stuck places into more preferred ways of being. If I could do that, then I feel like I'd be doing okay. Yeah, that sounds like a wonderful legacy to leave for the world. Kim Swan, thank you so much for coming on the Get Out of Teaching podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thanks for having me, Elizabeth. And yeah, I wish all the best to everybody who might listen to this. Um, if you're in a time of transition, may the force be with you. And you're not alone. I guess that's the thing I'd like to say. You're not alone. You've been listening to the Get Out of Teaching podcast presented by Larksong Enterprises with your host, Elizabeth Diakos. Do you know someone else who could benefit from hearing more stories of hope and transition from teachers all around the world? Please take a moment to share this and other episodes via your podcast app. Each share helps me reach listeners just like you who can benefit from this content. The Get Out of Teaching podcast is proud to be part of the Experts on Air podcast network. For show notes and other resources, please visit larksong.com.au forward slash podcast.